How's it going, everyone? Hey, welcome to Wednesday night. That's the night of the week. Let's go. Welcome to Citizens Youth. Super glad that you're joining us. Go ahead and take a seat. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. I hope you went to the restroom and did whatever you need to do, because now it is time to open up God's Word. Take a seat. Take a deep breath. Put away your phones. Phones go on the floor and the Bible's in the hand. Go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be tonight. First of all, I just wanted to say welcome. Welcome. If you guys, did you guys break that chair? Oh, there's a broken chair. Oh, well, don't worry about it. I won't tell anyone. Just kidding. Someone broke a chair. It's all good. It happens. Hey, we broke like three chairs at conference last year. That was, that was really something. Hey, um, okay, Luke chapter 18, we're going to be verses 9 through 14 today. And tonight is a night that we like to call Ethos Night. This is a night where we try and take uh, one of our core discipleship values. So we at Citizens, we don't just say like, hey, we want to run a youth ministry, and that's like what we're going to do every single day. Uh, We have core things that we believe about our ministry. And one of the most important things for you and for me to understand is that if you have breath in your lungs— And if you have a heartbeat in your chest, uh, God wants you to do something. All right, let me tell you that again. If you've got a heartbeat happening in your chest, you got breath in your lungs, if you're alive and you're a human being and you're listening to my voice, uh, God has something for you and me to do on this planet. Uh, Jesus tells us right before he sends into heaven, this is like the last thing he tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There's something that you and I have to do. There's a mission that God has called us to, uh, to complete And so we want to help you uh, be on mission for Jesus. And so tonight we are talking about that uh, important cultural value here at Citizens Youth to engage in gospel mission. If it's your first time here, though, welcome. I'm super glad you joined us. If it's like your second or third time and I haven't talked to you yet, uh, my name's Noah. I help lead our youth ministry here. I would love to talk to you. Would love to hear your story. Would love to hear how school's going. Would love to hear all about your life. If you haven't connected anyone yet, I would love to uh, get to know you a little bit more. Um, so yeah, open up to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. But before we begin there, I want to tell you about something that happened to me this weekend. And this is an absolutely true story. So it was a long weekend. Did everyone enjoy their Labor Day? Did everyone enjoy maybe some hot dogs, some hamburgers, an extra day to sleep in maybe? Um, so uh, Jocelyn and I, we went away for Labor Day for the long weekend. We went back to the East Coast to uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to see Jocelyn's grandparents. Her family drove in from the other side of the state, and we saw a couple of our friends there. So anyway, long flight, all right? We had to get a connecting flight there and everything. So we get there to Pittsburgh. Weekend was great, super restful. And um, we went to go fly back. And so let me just tell you from the get-go, I have like the worst traveling luck do you know somebody who's like prone to accidents? Like they just like bump in the stuff and like they're always in a sling or in like, I don't know, like the, the, they're bruised up. Like, okay, so I am like prone to somehow have my traveling plans just completely ruined for whatever reason. And some of them are my fault. Some of them are not my fault. This definitely was not my fault, but let me tell you this. And it ended up working out in the end, okay. So we're going to go fly home. Um, We go to the Pittsburgh airport. Right day, right time. I've made those mistakes plenty of times. Maybe just once or twice. But um, had my ID. Forgot that that one time. That was not great. Yeah, I know. They're like, you can't fly. I'm like, why not? They're like, because we don't know who you are. I'm like, ah, that makes sense. All right. Um, So anyways, everything was all good. We get our boarding passes. We get everything. We get up to the gate. And we get a weird notification on our phone like five, ten minutes before like we're supposed to walk onto the airplane. Something about like a a no-show. It's like, here at Delta Airlines, we have a very clear no-show policy. And I was like, what is this talking about? So anyways, I'm paranoid because again, I have the worst traveling history. So I go up to the front because I'm like, 
I'm sure it's nothing, but I just need to figure it out. And like, we're about to start loading on this plane. Like people are lining up. It's about to happen. And so I'm like, hey, I just got this weird notification on my phone. And the guy's like, okay, let me check on it. Super nice guy. And I'm like, I'm sure it's nothing. So he kind of types in like stuff on the like computer screen there. I'm just kind of standing there. And then he makes like a funny face. He kind of tilts his head and he looks up at me. He looks me right in the eyes and he looks down and up. And uh, And so he's like trying to like figure something out. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what is going on? And he looks at me. He's like, are you Noah? And I'm like, yes. And then in my mind, I'm like, am I? Yeah, no, I am. That's me, right? Because I'm like, maybe something went wrong. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And he goes, okay. He's like, did you have a connecting flight from Detroit to Pittsburgh when you were coming here? And I was like, yes, I did. And then he asked me the weirdest question anyone's ever asked me. He goes, did you get on the plane in Detroit to come to Pittsburgh? And I was like, I'm here, aren't I? I didn't say that, right? But in my mind, I'm like, yes, I did, and I'm here. And he goes, okay, here's what happened. The person who is checking in people, the flights in Detroit, uh, they must have skipped you somehow, and they said you were a no-show, and you flew on the plane anyway. And I was like, yes. And he goes, oh my goodness. That should not have happened. And I go, okay, well, like, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, okay, it's no big deal. I'm here now, whatever. And he goes, I can't let you on this plane. It will not let me check you onto this flight right now because it thinks you are a no-show, so it canceled the rest of your ticket. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it was totally their fault. And so I was trying to be super calm, like, oh, man. And I kind of look over at Joe, and she gave me the look of, like, man, this always happens to you. And I'm like, I know, I know. It does. And it's really hard when your family lives on the other side of the country, and you have to travel all the time, and all the time it gets ruined. But um, so anyways, the guy's like, we cannot let you on this flight, but I'm going to try my best to figure out something. And so literally, people are getting on the plane, and then the plane door closes, and then the plane takes off, and we're in the airport. And I had my ticket and everything, but they thought I didn't get on this one plane, which is like a really big deal. They have to like, yeah, figure out a bunch of stuff on their end. So I'm sitting there for like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, we're just kind of chilling, and I'm like, man, we're going to spend another night in the city, I'm not going to make it back in time, blah, 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 and the time change, I'm all going to be all grumpy on Wednesday night, and all these things I'm thinking in my head. And the guy comes up to us, and he's like, we're so sorry about this. Which, like, airlines very rarely apologize for anything. I don't know if you've noticed that. The, like, plane could be five hours delayed, and they're like, too bad, sorry, like, in a sarcastic way. But this guy was, like, genuinely sorry. He's like, we are so sorry this happened. Here's what we're going to do for you. There's a flight happening in about two hours. We're going to get you on it, and we're going to put you on a first-class flight back to Portland. I know. I know. So in my brain, I was like, oh! oh my gosh, I've never flown first class. If you don't know, first class is like all the important people sit up at the front and all the people who kind of like don't even look at you when you're walking on the plane and they have like fancy like drinks and like a bunch of snacks and stuff. So anyway, the guy's like, we're gonna get you on a first class flight back to Portland. And I was like, that should be okay. Thank you for your help. And I, in my mind, I was like, never done this before. So I've never flown first class ever in my entire life. And we got to just the other day, just on Monday night. And I'm telling you, If I had more money, I wish I could do it every single time. I looked into how much those tickets were, and I was like, I thought you could buy an airplane with that money. Like, that's crazy how expensive it is. So anyways, you remember, so if you've ever flown, and maybe some people haven't, usually you sit on the airplane and you're like, man, they've designed this thing to be the most uncomfortable seating position of all time. They gave me about eight inches in front of like the other guy, but not so in first class, no. This is like a leather throne. So you know your grandpa who like probably has like a recliner seat in the middle of their house and they just kind of chill there all day? And it was grandpa's like that. My grandpa was like that a lot. That's what it was like, this seat on this airplane. And I'm like, this is amazing. 
This is wonderful. The rules work a little different. I promise there's a point to this, so stick with me. The rules work a little different up there for first class people. You know how typically, like, I don't know, if you've flown coach, if you've, like, so usually I'm, like, row, like, 35 or 38, and, like, I just kind of haul my, like, free item on my back and kind of just deal with it because it's the cheapest. But anyway, not so in first class. They are just like rolling out the red carpet for these people. It's amazing. It was awesome. And I was like totally an imposter, but I was totally pretending like I belong there. And so the person's like, do you want anything? I was like, yes, sparkling water, please. And a hint of lemon. Not really. I didn't say that. But um, so they hand out baskets of snacks instead of just like, you know, like a little case of peanuts or like whatever. They come around with a basket and it's like, you can pick however many snacks you want. It was absolutely blowing my mind. And this one thought entered my head as I was flying. I was like, I'm never going back. It's not possible. I'm, I'm going to be sad when this airplane lands because I'm enjoying this so much. And there was a glimpse of me. There was a moment I went to the restroom and came back and I looked back. They had that little curtain, the little tiny curtain that separates first class from the rest of the peasants sitting behind me. <laughs> and I had this moment where I was like, I am so much better than them. And I like kind of believed it, but not really. The whole problem was it was totally fake, right? Uh, it was an accident. I shouldn't have been in first class. This was a total mistake. I couldn't, I didn't earn my spot there. All right. I didn't like, buy my spot there. Certainly could have never have afforded that. I didn't belong in first class, right? And there was no part of me that should have looked back to the back of the plane and thought, man, I am so much better than those people. So tonight we're going to read a story in uh, Luke chapter 18. There's two people. There's two guys who are going to the temple to worship God. This is a story that Jesus tells. This is a parable. So this is just an illustration, a story that Jesus comes up with. And there's two hearts that are represented here in the passage tonight. We have a heart of self-righteousness and we have a heart of humility. Two hearts, two worshipers before God that go to the temple, but only one of the worshipers goes home justified. We have a Pharisee who is at the peak of like, his game. In this day and age, he has reached the religious, like, man-made religion, just the maximum status in his day and age. And he is looking down on a sinner, quote-unquote, on that phrase there, a tax collector. And we see the exchange that happens between the two people in this passage. There's a question I want us to ask ourselves. On an individual level, and as our youth ministry as a whole, how do you view other people? How do you view yourself? When you look at people who aren't Christians yet, what are some of the thoughts that you have in your mind? When you look at people who are clearly lost, clearly are not following Jesus, would never want to walk into a church. Maybe they're in your class, maybe they're in your home, Maybe you see them at the grocery store. Maybe you have them in your friend group, in your cohort. What do you think of? What are some of the thoughts that roll in your head? Let's think broadly here. Let's think all of us collectively. When somebody walks into our room as a new, new timer, first timer, and maybe they don't know the Lord yet, what are we thinking? How do we treat them? What does it look like? Do we view ourselves correctly? This is a question you have to ask yourself. This is a question we have to ask ourselves tonight. As we walk back into our schools and we see the reality of life all around us, this is an important passage for us, 
for us tonight. Uh, it is a mission critical for us to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And while we engage in gospel mission, we need to view ourselves correctly. And when we view ourselves correctly, we will see other people correctly. And we will see the mission of Jesus more clearly. We must view ourselves in the correct light in order to see other people for who they truly are. So Jesus is in the middle of a series here. This is just a, a, a compact, like the, uh, Luke 17 and 18 and 19. These are just stories about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And the questions he answers is, what is the kingdom of God? Who gets to go there? And how do they get to go there? And the kingdom of God doesn't look like the kingdom of man. And the kingdom of God can be offensive to us, especially us who are bogged down by religion oftentimes in our lives. Jesus is in the middle of this story, and I want us all to listen tonight. So in tonight's passage, this isn't, hopefully it doesn't sound like a harsh or rebuking tone, but this is definitely a challenge for us. And because it's an ethos night, because I'm very specifically looking at our ministry as a whole, I feel way more comfortable saying that I believe that if we listen to this passage, this is going to be a sermon that hopefully helps form the rest of our ministry for this school year. I don't say that about a lot of messages, right? A lot of times we're studying God's word or trying to encourage us in that day, in that moment, we're going through a big series or something like that. But tonight's passage, it is my prayer for us as a whole, that this will guide us for the next year of youth ministry at Northwest Gospel Church. This is something I believe in. This is something that I think God has put on my heart to share with you. So I want to encourage you tonight, listen close, read through this passage, pay attention. If you start goofing off, just stop, right? Focus back in, because I believe that this message tonight could be ministry uh, transformational. It could be transformational for our entire youth ministry. And if you listen, it could be transformational to you. All of us has to ask ourselves, how do we look at other people? How do we look at ourselves? There are two hearts tonight, two perspectives, two ways to operate in life. And we need to pick the perspective of humility and the perspective of the gospel. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to begin. God, be with us tonight as we dive into your word. Uh, help us to be humble before all the people that we encounter. Help us to be humble before um, people who don't know you. Help us to be humble before um, people who do know you and all of the people we have here at, at our youth ministry. God, um, help me speak clearly and concisely through this passage, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So this is who Jesus is talking to. It sets up the scene right here. Jesus is speaking this parable to a group of self-righteous people. What does that word mean, self-righteous? That word means that these people think that they have all the right answers. They think that they have the right attitude. They think that they have all the right things that they need. They feel like they've got it all together. They've learned how to play the system. They've learned the right words to say. And other people have affirmed them and now they've risen to power, and they don't actually need the most important thing, which is a relationship with, with God. They're avoiding a relationship with God because they are so ingrained in, in the authority and the power and the look that comes with being self-righteous. So these people are self-righteous. They're, uh, they're prideful, they're arrogant, and Jesus is speaking directly to them in this moment. In verse 10, it says this. This is what Jesus speaks to them. Two men went into the temple to pray, 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, or like this is what that could translate to. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Awkward. Sheesh. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There are two hearts. There are two things. uh, There are two perspectives in this passage that we need to hold on to and we need to look at. The first is that of the Pharisee. So there's two characters in the story, a Pharisee and a tax collector. In this day and age, when you heard those two words, they are very specific terms. This is a very specific position. They're a well-known position. And one is viewed very highly by religious people. And the other guy is a dirtbag because he's a tax collector. Uh, the Pharisee, uh, he is a religious leader. Uh, the Pharisee, he, he's, he's going to get the red carpet treatment when he walks into the temple. He's a regular attender. When he walks into the temple, notice it says he's standing there by himself. Uh, He did this probably on purpose so that other people could look at him praying in the temple um, before everyone else. But he's not actually praying to God. He might be saying the word God, but he's really talking to himself. He's really just kind of promoting himself in the most egregious, hilarious way that Jesus illustrates here for us. Uh, So we have a Pharisee. But everyone would have looked at this guy and been like, dude, that's... You know, Cornelius, what a, what a name. Let's make up a name. That's Cornelius, the Pharisee. He's so spiritual. Man, he prays out loud and we all hear him. That is awesome. I'm just so appreciative of all, all the work that he does. So we have this character who is stuck in the rut of religious piety and he is doing all the right things for all of the wrong reasons. He does not have what he should have, which is a genuine relationship with the living God. But people might think that he does have a relationship because of the position he's put himself in. So then we have our second character, a tax collector, much like Matthew. All right, we've got a tax collector here. Imagine him walking into the temple. This would have been like a, he walks in the room and you probably could have heard a pin drop. This guy's a thief, right? So if you didn't know, tax collectors are very dishonest. They're like, why are you being so mean to the tax collector? Uh, super dishonest in this day and age. They would have worked uh, alongside of Rome to collect taxes from the Jewish people. Um, and they would have lied about what certain people owed. And they would have pocketed the change. This was a very common thing. Um, but of course, couldn't do anything about it. And so they were not only traitors, but they were often dishonest. They were liars and they were super rich, super wealthy. And so they were literally stealing from people. It's a really horrible thing. But this tax collector is different. This tax collector's prayer is genuine. This tax collector's prayer is humble. This tax collector walks home justified when the Pharisee doesn't. Picture this. There would have been a few looks around the temple. Did you see who just showed up? Is he praying? This guy? Seriously? Do you know what he has done? And he's coming into our temple to worship God? (laughs) No way this is true. No way this is real. 
no way this is going to last long. There's probably a whisper here or there, maybe a backroom conversation, judgment. So these are the two characters. Look again here at what it says. Two men went up to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This is a picture of self-righteousness. This is like capital S, self-righteousness. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. This is what it, uh, this is what it looks like. This is what it acts like. This specific man right here, this Pharisee, is looking to the sins of others as validation that he himself is somehow holier than them because he doesn't do those things and he does other things. Notice this. He, he's weighing the scales. He's being the judge, jury, and executioner right here. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. So other men are what? They're extortioners. They're unjust. They're adulterers. And just like this tax collector. But here's what I do. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. So this guy, he is pig, he's the quintessential picture of self-righteousness. How you view yourself affects other people. So this man here, Jesus is having him as the picture of self-righteousness, the picture of religion. And when I say that, by the way, just so you know, I'm talking about uh, like a man-made religion. Okay, I don't think it's super, I, I don't, I wouldn't ever just completely eliminate the word as a whole. I know that sometimes people like to do that. Uh, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. That is true. Um, but religion, a man-made religion, and what Jesus came to preach against is were people who were so obsessed with keeping the rules that they made extra rules to show that they could keep the rules and that they should lead other people in keeping the rules. And Jesus was like, that is super lame. That is lame because one, it's fake. It's a facade. They're not actually genuinely seeking a relationship. So if you hear me attack that word religion, that's what I'm talking about. And that's what Jesus came to preach against. Because what people genuinely need is a relationship with God. But how you picture yourself affects the way you view others. And how you view yourself affects a lot of things. My posture before the Lord affects my life. My attitude determines my actions. And if I have an attitude of pride or self-righteousness, I will look down on other people. It's like he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. When you and I view ourselves highly, when we are full of pride and self-righteousness, we will treat others like dirt. We will treat others like lesser than us. We will look to the back of the airplane and say, look at you peasants, right? We will treat others poorly. And so the way you view yourself, your heart posture before the Lord affects so much about your life. And I don't want to be a youth ministry that struggles with self-righteousness. I want us to be genuine, true worshipers of God. And God wants that for you as well. God wants all of you. He, he knows all of you. There's no faking it when it comes to holiness. You can't fake your way to a personal relationship with God. You can't coast your way into new levels with God. It starts with humility. It only is generated. New levels of holiness are only genu, like, generated uh, through new stages of humility. And this self-righteous person here is prideful, and they're completely missing the picture 
They say, I have righteousness. They don't, so I'm good. They have sin. I don't have sin, so I'm good. It's all about him at the end of the day. He's putting himself into the equation so much. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. It's a picture of self-righteousness, something that Jesus despises, something that Jesus came to preach against. Humble people see the world correctly because they see themselves for who they are and for who God is. That's the difference. Humble people see the world correctly because they know who God is and they know who they are. But prideful people don't think that they need God. Prideful people want to look the part. They don't want to live the part. That stuff is kind of more difficult. And this Pharisee would have been, you know, would have been viewed very highly in this day and age, but Jesus is painting a very clear picture. The Pharisee in this story is using someone else's sin to somehow provoke his own fake righteousness, but his heart is far away from God. It's foolishness. It's, it's stupid. You can keep all the rules and still have a heart that's far from the Lord. And that is, that is heartbreaking. Sure, you may not be sleeping around, but your heart isn't really desiring to connect with God. You might have all the right words to say, but sermons and God's word doesn't really convict you anymore, and you're just kind of coasting throughout life. Sure, you might not be angry. You might not say curse words. You might not do a million things here, uh, but your heart isn't spurred on in worship, and your heart isn't spurred on to mission, and your heart isn't spurred on to love other people. You can keep all of the rules and still miss God. You can keep all the rules to a T and more. I fast twice a week. I read my Bible every day. I go to citizens every week. I'm a leader at the youth ministry. I'm a student leader. I'm a, I'm a citizens leader. I help at the welcome table. We need to watch ourselves. We should always, and I'm not saying this to rebuke you. I don't think that this is something that I'm explicitly saying, but I want to watch us in this year how we treat ourselves and how we treat other people who don't know Jesus. We have to keep an eye on this. We have to watch this. And this man, Jesus is highlighting for us, this man is using other people's sin to somehow promote his own fake self-righteousness. This is why people in such rigorous and religious man-made rules grow to show contempt to the one who's giving the rules because it's not about those things. The Pharisee, in this moment, he's a picture of religious piety. But the tax collector isn't far away from holiness. He's not as far away as we might think. When you look at other people who don't know Jesus yet, who don't have a relationship with him yet, what do you think? What are the thoughts that go around your mind? I'm challenging you right now in this moment. I'm challenging our youth ministry right now in this moment. How are we thinking about the lost? How are we thinking about the worst of the worst in our schools, in our homes, in our classrooms? What do you think about? What do they look like in your mind? Because a very religious person says that they don't belong here, but I do. But a person with a genuine relationship with Jesus says, I would be right there with you if it wasn't for Jesus. Let me show you about him. Let me invite you into a relationship with him. 
The invitation from Jesus is an invitation to come and see the life that he has prepared for us. It is not an invitation to look like me before you even believe the things I believe. People are struggling with real stuff, right? Can I level with you? High schoolers, we're struggling with real stuff. All right, middle schoolers too. There are real issues facing our kids and our communities today. There's a lot of baggage that people are holding in this world. And I want to challenge us. How are we looking at that baggage? How are we looking at that sin? So our, our, our ethos logo is um, for engaging gospel mission is a chair. This is a chair. I'm holding a chair. I'm not going to slam it on everyone's, anyone's head. But um, the, the logo for engaging gospel mission is a chair. It's a, it's a twofold illustration here. One, uh, we need to get out of our chair and our comfort zone. Maybe in your house you have like a perfect chair in the perfect corner, and when the sunlight is there, there's some music playing in the background, you're reading a book. The last thing you want to do, or maybe you're playing Fortnite, all right, for the boys in the room, you're in a perfect chair. The last thing you want to do is get out of the chair, but God calls us to get out of the chair, get out of our comfort zone, all right? Go into the world, uh, cause some chaos, right, for the gospel, of course, not just in real life, right? Go out, cause some ruckus, all right, get out of your chair. And also, it's a twofold example um, that there's always a chair open for uh, any 6th through 12th grade student um, to come here to, to Citizens Youth. We very intentionally make sure that there's some empty seats in here every Wednesday night because it symbolizes that there's always room for more people. We never want it completely full. If we outgrow this, we'll grow into the balconies, but there will always be empty seats. Why? Because there's a seat for people who aren't sitting here yet. And the way that we look at those people matters. The way we think about them, uh, it matters. All right, so what are high schoolers dealing with? Let's level. Let's, let's talk here. Let's talk real stuff. So we all, get, we all got burdens. We all got baggage. We all got things that we're holding in. Walk down the hallways in school, you see it, you hear it, I know you see it, I know you watch it online, I know what you guys struggle with, I was there not that long ago. So let, let's take this for example, which one did I pick up here? Okay, crude language, crude language. Someone might be carrying this in to, around them. They say jokes that they shouldn't, they use words that they shouldn't, they're harsh, they're, they're rude, they're angry, okay? That's something we got. Let's say that's on the chair. What else do we have? Some people struggle with anger, like for real. I'm talking like real anger. I'm not talking like I died in Fortnite and I threw my controller. I'm talking like I want to get in fights, right? I, yeah, I may have done that once or twice. Not a fight, the controller thing. But all right, you're angry or violent, right? You're trying to cause trouble. All right, people with issues, real issues, maybe they have weapons, maybe they have knives or weapons that they carry with them because they want to get in a fight and they want to cause problems. All right, that's something real high schoolers are really struggling with right now today. All right, this is a big one right now, addiction. All right, we may have people in this room or people in your schools that you know uh, who are addicted to vaping, right? They're addicted to weed, they're addicted to drinking, whatever it may be. There's addictions that people are struggling with that they really have truly in their life right now. And they're carrying all these burdens around. What's the last one we have? And maybe, of course, this is a big one. We try not to talk about it sometimes, right? Because we're scared to talk about it, but we talk about it. Sexual sin, right? They changed their gender, right? They said this about that. I, they're sleeping around the whole school. There's not a single person on the football team that, that they didn't sleep with. Right? This is a serious thing, right? Okay, it's kind of funny to talk about it out loud, but this is a reality. High schoolers struggle with these things. 
You struggle with these things. I know it's true. And this is what I fear for our youth ministry. This is what I fear for us. And this is what I don't want us to see. I don't want us in the next year of our youth ministry to say, hey, I know you got these burdens. I know you got these crushing things on your heart, but like we don't do that at Citizens. You're going to have to literally leave every single one of those at the door and pretend like you don't have them. And then you can sit down. Okay. So just like put them over to the side, pretend like it's not there. And can I just be honest with you right now? Be very honest in the sermon. Right now, it's much more likely that I get a text on my phone from one of you, from a leader, from whoever, that for lack of a better words is tattletaling. Hey, I caught so-and-so holding hands. Hey, I heard so-and-so went to this party and did this thing. Hey, I heard that fill in the blank. And my response to that is oftentimes in my brain, so you're telling me that that high schooler is a sinner. You're telling me that that person is depraved and needs salvation from Jesus Christ. You're telling me that that person is a real human being who's struggling with real things. And I always want these seats to be filled with messy things. I want the seats that you're sitting in right now to be full of people who are genuine and honest about the things that they're carrying into this room. I want you to invite somebody to this room who is struggling with these things because this isn't a place where we put on religious piety, we put on like religious programs and we can't talk about real life and they're not here unless they're completely cleaned up. The world says you got to believe what I believe first. Then you got to behave the way I behave, and then maybe you'll belong. But the gospel of Jesus is an invitation to a relationship with God. Why do people, we, people don't know Jesus yet. Why do we want them to act like a Christian yet? They don't know who Jesus is. But you can show them. We can show them. You can show them. All right? People, we're, we're struggling with all this stuff, guys. Let's be honest about it. We, we can be honest. We can be genuine. We don't need to be like the Pharisee who says, I'm completely fine, right? I got all this stuff figured out, and I'm not going to even talk about it, and we're good. We want people in these seats, yes, that are not perfect yet. They don't sound like us because they don't sound like a Christian because they're not a Christian yet. Yes, maybe. And I feel like if we're tipping the scales here, we are leading dangerously close to being more self-righteous than I would like for us to be. But it is not about that. It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. The problem with the tax collector is that his metrics for holiness are way off. His understanding of holiness is completely backwards. How often do we look at others, right? So let's think of this. We know theologically, and just because of the gospel, that it's never our works that get us favor with God. It is never our own doing that gets us salvation. It is never us working on our own behalf to achieve a certain level of holiness, right? It is all the righteousness that Christ gives to you. We know that, right? And you would say, yes, absolutely. That is completely true. 
but how often and why do we come up with a laundry list of reasons why other people don't deserve God's grace, why other people don't deserve this community, and why other people don't deserve the attention, my attention, and my affection, and my love for them, right? If it's not about us working towards God, why would we put those standards on other people when we see them sinning? Why would we do that? When we see somebody who's sleeping around, when we see someone who vapes in the bathroom, when we see someone who sits in the parking lot and does a million wacky things, right? Why do we put these standards on them when we know that it is not our works that have gotten us holiness and it's not their uh, works of sin that keeps them far away? Grace is closer than you might think. Look at, this, uh, look at this story. Grace is closer than you might think to the people who are lost in our communities right now. It is way closer than you think. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off, look, he wouldn't even go to the front. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, it says. He is so broken in his sin. He is so humble in this moment. He beat his breast. He's in anguish. He says, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. God came for sinners. Jesus came for sinners. He didn't come for the sick. He, did, or he didn't come from the healthy. He came for the sick. He's the physician who heals us. God, be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went to his house justified rather than the other. This is the blessing of humility. This is what living in humility looks like. The people who are lost in your life are way closer. They may be way closer to God's salvation than you might think. And the people in this room, myself included, for many years of my life, who have it all together are way farther away from God. Who have it together, right? Who know the right things to say. Who know the right places to go. Could it be possible that the person you're judging is closer to God than you are? According to Jesus. Don't get mad at me. What are you saying? We should be a tax collector, Noah? Jesus seems to make him the hero in this story, but I don't know. God never says, get yourself together. He says, come to me. But why do we as Christians do the opposite? We need to invite other people in. This is not our own personal safe haven from the world that is crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I know. I know how crazy it is. I know what they're teaching in school. I've heard it all as well. But this isn't like our little safe haven where we get together and say, okay, here's what we believe. Go out and make sure that you still believe that next week, right? We're here to invite other people in. We're here to show other people the gospel. This is the blessing of humility. When we are humble before God and before other people, we view other people correctly. And we view ourselves correctly and we are close to God. Look at what it says in verse 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The people in your life that we can judge, and myself included, right there with you, when we judge them as purely sinners, God's grace is way closer than you think. Humility before God and others is absolutely critical. If we can't look at other people with the correct perspective, we will never reach our full potential as a youth ministry, as a light in a dark world. We will never do it. We need to welcome people in without judgment. We need to welcome people in with baggage, with problems, and we need to recognize that humility is the key. Now, I'm not saying you should keep all those things. I'm not saying you should engage in those things. I'm not saying that you should completely be totally okay. But we need to understand that non-Christians 
act like non-Christians. It's just logical. It's what happens. And all of us, we're at one point the tax collector, but if you're saved, it's because at one point God made you humble like the, the tax collector, right? We at all at one point recognize if you're saved, if you're a follower of Jesus, which many of you are, you at one point went to your knees in humility and recognized that you needed the gospel. And when you look at other people, you need to believe that the same thing could happen to them. And you need to pray that the same thing could happen to them. And you need to expect that the same thing could happen to them. A religious person looks at someone else's sin and says, look at how good I am. But a person who's following Jesus looks at someone else's sin and their hearts are broken. Their hearts are heavy. We have Union High School. It's two blocks away. I could throw a rock at it if I was really strong. I... I come into work early some mornings, super early some mornings for events or whatever. I see what happens in that parking lot. I see the things that are said. I see the things that happen. And in a religious way, I think, man, glad my kids aren't like that, huh? But the gospel perspective says, how can I win them for Christ? How can I welcome them into this building? How can they be here in this room? And they may have these things. Yes, I've seen, seen some of these things. But humility, 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 it's key. Humble yourselves. You can't look at yourself and say, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. You gotta look at them and be heartbroken and say, God, how can I reach them? God, how can I look at my own life and focus on what I need to focus on and me? How can I focus on what you have for me to reach other people? That's the critical difference. And there's blessings in humility. This man went home justified. His sins were forgiven. He was forgiven of the sins of lying, stealing, thievery, adultery, whatever he walked into that room with, he was healed from those things. And the same is true of you. And the same is true of all of us who are humble before the Lord. I think that we as a youth ministry, again, I'm, this isn't trying to rebuke. This isn't trying to be angry. This is just something I've noticed. This is just something I want us to be aware of. And this is what I want to point our youth ministry. This is the direction I want to point us in this year for 2022 and 2023. I want us to be on mission to reach a lost and dying world. I don't want to make a bunch of good Christian kids happy. All right? Not interested in that. I want to have some sinners who are dying and sick and needy have healing through Jesus Christ. And I want you to want the same. And I want to do it together. I want to engage on this mission this year together. So how does this tie into our um, discipleship value? The question, humility before God leads us to a genuine love for others. It's our main idea. It's the thing I want you to know. Humility before God leads us to a genuine love for other people. You can't love someone and judge them at the same time. That's just kind of a little thing you should know. Love you, but you got a bunch of stuff you got to work on, right? You know, we've had an abnormally large number of visitors for youth ministry our size. Looked at the list today. We have not dozens, hundreds since I've been here. Hundreds does not happen in our youth ministry. It is crazy. It's a work of God, and it's awesome. But I wonder how many of them stick around? The answer is not a ton. And I just want us to be aware of these things, 
to look at this story from Jesus, to look at the direction, to look at his heart. And again, I'm not saying I'm, not saying I'm the tax collector, I'm the most humble. I'm saying I have been the Pharisee in this story as the leader of this youth ministry, and I need to repent of that. And I think that all of us have the capability of being that way. And I want us to change our attitude. I want us to change our mind. I want this to be a moment where we shift our perspective on people who are not Christians in our community. And it is only through humility that that happens. Humility before God leads us to a genuine love for other people. We must take ourselves out of the equation entirely. I've been given righteousness by God. They don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, but they can. They have sin right now, and I'm a sinner just like them, but I have Jesus now, and now I can see. And they can too. That is what we should be thinking. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There's two perspectives here, all right? There's two things. This is a little... Sorry, my mic's all wacky tonight, but there's two perspectives that we can have. This is a pair of glasses. So the Bible doesn't say be humble. It says to humble yourself. I've talked about that before. And um, the Bible doesn't say like some people are humble and some people are prideful, right? It is an active decision to humble yourself. It's an active decision to view the world through the lens of the gospel or view the world through the lens of your own self-righteousness. It's a decision that we have. Self-righteous people... um, This says self-righteousness, if you couldn't see it. (laughs) Self-righteous people look at the world, say, I'm better. I know the answers. I feel really bad for you. Honestly, I pity you. Your life sucks. (laughs) And I'm awesome. And that's not the perspective I want us to have. It's a little bit of hyperbole, but that's not the perspective I want us to have. I want us to have a gospel perspective. All right? This says gospel, by the way. I'm a sinner, but God loves me. I was lost. I was blind, but now I see. Not currently in this moment, but it's an illustration. They're lost, but they can be found. The God who found me, the Jesus who pursued me, can pursue them too. The Jesus who went after me, the one out of the 99, can also pursue that other one. The Jesus who came to rescue me came to rescue all, and I need to believe that. That is a gospel perspective that you and I need to have, and that is what it means to humble yourself. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. It's a, it's a choice. It is a critical missional choice that we all have to live in constantly. And so as your youth pastor, I obviously don't want to just say all this stuff and then like not do anything and just say, okay, like good luck. So here, there's, a, there's a, something I want us to do this, this year. We're starting a new initiative and it's going to happen every single month all the way until I think April or May. Uh, it's going to be called First Wednesdays. You can throw that slide on the screen. It's going to be called First Wednesdays, and I want to challenge you every single month on the first Wednesday of every single month to invite a friend. I want to encourage you to be missional once a month, and I want to help you, all right? What we're going to do on First Wednesdays is we're going to have everything that we usually have throughout the year, worship, teaching from God's word, fun, but we're just going to dial it up a little bit, and we're going to open our eyes a little bit more clearly for people who maybe don't know the gospel. 
All right, we're gonna have guest preachers, we're gonna have games, we're gonna have fun, but we are going to be on mission for Jesus Christ. This isn't my building, all right? This isn't my youth ministry, this isn't my pulpit. This is God's youth ministry, this is God's pulpit, this is God's church, and this is for everyone. And so I wanna encourage us this year, as we humble ourselves before God and before others, we need to engage in gospel mission. Who needs to know about Jesus? Who needs healing from Jesus? Who needs the light of Jesus shown upon them? Who needs to know in your life and how can you be that change in their life? Who needs to sit in these seats who maybe doesn't have it all together yet? All right, maybe if you're in the room right now and you're struggling with these things, maybe tonight is the night where you talk about them. Maybe you talk about them in small groups next week, whatever it may be. We're going to be on mission this year. So why, why this holiness, all right? This holiness and this humility. We hear this here. We hear Jesus saying this himself. I want to read this for us, right? Jesus says in his own words, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There's this passage from Philippians 2 that is just perfect for this. I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to pray. It says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is an idea, and this is an attitude that we can all have while we're engaging on mission. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That is is the picture of humility. And because of Jesus's amazing humility and his suffering on your behalf, he has been exalted. And if you are struggling with any of these things, there is no sin that is too dark. There is no sin that is too dirty that the blood of Christ can't cover and wash away. And that is true of you. And that is true of every single person who walks into the room, this room throughout this next year. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful for this word that you've uh, brought to us. God, I pray for uh, our communities. I pray for um, the world that we have around us, for Vancouver, for Camas, for Washougal, for Portland, for all these communities that we exist in, for the high schools that we go to, for the clubs that we are a part of, for the cohorts that we gather together in. God, I pray that your gospel would go forth and that these young people would be on mission for you. God, I pray for uh, this idea of First Wednesdays as we intentionally seek to invite other people into this space. I pray that we'd be humble. We recognize that it's not our own doing that we're saved, but it is by your grace and your grace alone. And that grace is free and available for everyone, even people that we can cast judgment upon. God, I pray that we would be a humble youth ministry this year. We wouldn't pretend like we have it all together. Uh, We wouldn't fake it. We wouldn't just sweep everything under the rug. Uh, We wouldn't pretend like we're better even than other churches. God, I pray that we wouldn't think any of those thoughts, um, but that we would just be humble. We'd just be a group of young people who are trying to pursue you, who are trying to learn uh, to live for you. I pray that in in your name this year, we would see salvation, that we would see people uh, broke, uh, free from addiction, from the chains of addiction, uh, from the chains of sin, all right, from the chains of whatever. God, I pray that you would free people this year through the preaching of your word and the movement of your Holy Spirit. And help us be a part of that change. Help us to affect change in the areas that we uh, 
go into. Help us to be bold like we learned about this last year. Help us to be bold for your name alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's sing together.